Well, if this is your first time at Grace, uh, I want to welcome you. It's a, it's a good Sunday to be here for the first time because we're beginning a brand new sermon series entitled, What is a Christian? Now, some of you are sitting there going, uh, I know the answer to that, right? You know, uh, but uh, we're going to talk about that and look at scripture and kind of discover some new truths that hopefully will encourage you and bless you and also cause you to take one step closer to Jesus. So let's start by a little word association. Um, how many of you know what an American is? Raise your hand. Okay, three of you. Yeah, that's great. Uh, <clears throat> now, first service kind of walked through this, but you're, you're too good for that. You're too good for that. This isn't a trick question, you know, like uh, they used to ask in junior high camp, describe, you know, Jesus, and they say, you know, or describe a squirrel, and, and then say, okay, what is it? And a kid say, well, I know it's a squirrel, but I think I'm going to say Jesus. This is not that. We want you to just, you know, how many of you really knows what, Amer- what an American is? Raise your hand. Okay, much better. Okay. Some of you still aren't sure. You talk to me afterwards and I'll explain it. How many of you know what a Canadian is? Okay, many of you, many of you. How many of you know what a comedian is? Okay, good, good. Now, if I were to ask you how many of you know what a Christian is, and if I put you in groups of 10, you would probably have 10 different answers in each different group. A Christian can mean almost anything. It can mean you were born in America. It can mean you believe in God. It can mean you're a Republican. It can mean you were a Democrat. It can mean you're an independent. It can mean you go to church. It can mean uh, you were born in the West. It can mean any of those things, and nobody could really argue with you. This morning, I want to share with you from God's Word what a Christian is, and trust that it will impress on each and every one of you what we are called to be as followers of Jesus. So uh, I was raised with a particular brand of Christianity. So were you. Uh, My brand of Christianity that I was raised with, we called it in those days, fundamentalism versus modernism or liberalism. Today we would call it evangelicalism. And my brand of Christianity that I grew up with with was this. You were a Christian if you prayed the prayer, right? Many of you know that. You prayed the prayer. You prayed the prayer to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. And maybe you're a child at VBS or a teenager at a youth ministry or an adult, but uh, you prayed the prayer. That was your brand of Christianity. Other brands were, well, I was baptized as an infant. Therefore, I'm a Christian. Or I was baptized as an adult. Therefore, I'm a Christian. Or I took a class when I was a teenager It was either called catechism or confirmation. And as a result, I'm a Christian. And some of you would say, well, I'm not a Christian, but I kind of still believe in God. Or I'm a Christian, but I'm not that brand of Christianity. Now, if you were to go out into the marketplace and ask the question, what is a Christian? Wouldn't you get some really widely diverse answers? Some would say, uh, uh, nope, nope, I'm not that. I'm spiritual, I believe in God, I drive to Sedona once in a while. I mean, you have different answers, you know, you know I'm kind of spiritual, you know, but I'm not a Christian. Or you say, well, I'm a Christian, but not that kind of Christian. And there'd be all sorts of different answers that you would find. I remember uh, growing up, my, uh, my parents, uh, we were in this uh, church that was very fundamental, very legalistic, and uh, my cousin 
and my mother's brother and her, his family, they were Catholic, Roman Catholic. Now, that's not such a big difference today since 1967 and the uh, charismatic movement among the Catholics. Catholics have a lot more understanding of what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Not all Catholics, but many do. And so there's that gap between Protestantism and Catholicism has kind of really shrunk, right? I think you don't, most of you would agree with that. But if you grew up in the 60s or the 70s, there was this wide chasm. I mean, if you were a Catholic, you would never consider yourself a Christian. You would say, Protestants are Christians, but you're a Catholic. Or if you were a Protestant, you'd say, well, I'm a Christian, but those Catholics, they're not. You know? And so there was this wide divide. Well, my cousin, Julie, who was like a sister to me, she would spend the summers with us, uh, living with us in San Diego. They lived in L.A., and uh, she'd go to church with us and camp and stuff like that. Well, Julie gave her heart to Jesus, and she became a believer, a Christ follower. And that was sweet, and she went back to her, told her parents, and her dad said, oh, no, you're not. You're not going there. No, 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 you're a Catholic. You can't be something else. You're... And so there's all these different brands. I mean, I was raised fundamentalist, Bible-believing, premillennial, pre-trib, King James Version, our theme song was My Hope is Built on Nothing Less Than Schofield Notes and Scripture Press. I mean, I was locked in. My brand was the correct brand. And do you know why I knew my brand was the correct brand? Because we went to church on Sunday morning. What else? Sunday night. What else? Wednesday night prayer meeting. And those other people, those Presbyterians and those Methodists and those Episcopalians, their churches were dark on Sunday night. Therefore, their hearts must be dark. I mean, we used to think that like that. Our brand was the correct brand. But then there was other differences in Christianity. There were the uh, is's and the was's. Okay, an is is somebody that says, okay, I became a Christian when I was a child, and therefore I'm always a Christian. Uh, you know, I'm once saved, always saved kind of thing. I, I, I'm an is. But others would say, well, I was a Christian when I was a child, but I've grown up and I've moved away from that, and I'm now a was. And then there's this difference between is's and was's. And I remember as a teenager, um, after a football game, a bunch of us went out, and uh, some of the guys figured out how a fake idea or something to get some beer. Uh, and you're thinking, oh, that happened in the 60s? Uh, yes, it's happened just like it does today. And uh, so we went out, and it's the first time I'd ever had beer, and, you know, and I felt tremendously guilty about it because I was raised in a church that, you know, smoking, drinking, playing cards, dancing, you know, will all lead you to hell kind of a deal. And uh, so I was just feeling so much guilt and remorse, and I was driving below the speed limit. Oh, God, don't let me be an accident because hell will swallow me up. And I got home, and I prayed, and I said, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so back. I'm so... so I was kind of struggling with this is-was thing. Because in the Catholic Church, you could be a was, right? Mortal sin, right? You're out of it. You're out of it. You're gone. You know, so there's this is. So that's some ways that Christians would argue about it. Then there was the two camps, the believe and behave camp. Uh, you, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and everybody would say, oh, that's true. But then there would also be the others that said, no, it's how you behave, do you, you know, do you behave according to the Ten Commandments, according to Paul's epistles? Do you behave? And so there was this behave, believe kind of yin-yang, and I didn't really know what was going on. But then there was another category, and this is a category that is about probably at least six billion people on our planet believe, 
or have some variation of this belief. Now, this is not a quote from somebody else. This is what I put together based on a long life of listening to non-Christians and why they don't want to be Christians. And here's what I put together. These are people that you, if you're not one of these and you may be one of these, you know somebody that is one of these, okay? Here's what they would say. I'm not a Christian and here's why. Because Christians are judgmental, homophobic, moralists who think they're the only ones going to heaven and they secretly relish the fact that everyone else is going to hell. Now, again, you may not believe that at all. Some of you here, if you're new, you may believe that. You've heard that all your life. You say, how can, you, how can the name of Christian mean anything meaningful when we went through the Crusades and we went through all these different things? You know, how is that possible? But if you don't believe this, you know of people that do believe it. The world is watching us and they don't like what they see. They don't like what they see in Christianity. I mean, they see how we fight with each other. They see how we argue, especially over politics. When you put the Democrats and Republicans, and all of a sudden you think you're not even believers anymore. You're just arguing about the little kingdom. The little kingdom is this world. We're big kingdom people. Let's, let's talk about those kinds of things. Yeah, I have your opinions, but big kingdom people, right? So this idea that Christianity by the wor- is seen by the world as this really weird, obnoxious group of people that think we're the only ones going to heaven, we're very exclusive, and if you're going to hell, well, that's pretty much your problem. I mean, I believe that we have a lot of making up to do in the world. We have not put on a good show to the world as to who we are. I mean, we did for the first 300 years. For the first 300 years, the, 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 the disciples didn't have any leverage whatsoever. They, they had no spiritual or religious leverage. They had no financial leverage. They had no political. They had nothing. The only, the only one delivery system they had to, the, to bring the gospel to the world was love. They had nothing else. But starting in the fourth century, when we got really organized, Constantine and then later Charlemagne and all of that, the Holy Roman Empire, we really got messed up. And the world was looking at us and they saying, now, what's true? Is it true that, you know, indulgences are true or, or, or just go to church and you're okay? What's true? They had no idea what Christianity meant because we got it so messed up. Even the Protestant Reformation didn't fix it completely. We have a lot of making up to do. So here's what I want to do today. And this is kind of an introduction to the series that we'll be doing throughout a good part of the summer. Here's the good news and the bad news. The good news is that none of what we've talked about is described in the Bible as a Christian. The bad news is this. Everything you thought about being a Christian, according to the Bible, is probably wrong. Is probably wrong. In fact, some of you, and I don't know who, but some of you might say, you know what? This guy's really off his rocker, you know? He's one of these guys from Phoenix, you know, that uh, thinks he knows stuff as preacher. And so some of you are going to go home, and you're going to, find your Bible in some drawer somewhere and blow the dust off it and say, I, this just can't be true what he's saying. And you're gonna, So anytime I get you to pick up your Bible, that's a win. Okay, so just hear that. Um, so, so here's what we're going to discover when we look at Scripture. The word Christian and all of its derivatives, Christianity, Christendom, all of those, appears in the New Testament exactly three times. And the three times it appears is talking about Christians from an outside perspective. 
Christians never called themselves Christians. But the world looked at them and called them Christians. So we're going to look at that. They were Christ followers. They were people of the way. They had all kinds of words used to describe them. But it was an offensive term that they used. Three times the word Christian is used, and it was always outsiders describing Jesus people. So we look at the book of Acts. That's the history of the church, right? We look at the book of Acts, and there was the persecution after Jesus was uh, ascended to heaven, and the church was being persecuted, but was growing tremendously, Rome and throughout Asia Minor. In fact, it had even gone over into what today is known as Turkey, and a little city called Antioch, and uh, there was a bunch of Christ followers that were kind of getting on board with this movement, and it was growing, and the, the, the Christian kind of the epicenter of Christianity was in, was in Jerusalem. Uh, James was there, the brother of Jesus. By, by the way, wouldn't that be cool to talk to James sometime? So what was Jesus like when he was 14? You know, I, I mean, I'd love to talk to James and find out about it. But there was James and there was Peter and John and Matthew. They were all in, um, they were all in uh, J- Jerusalem. But they heard about this, this uh, group of people that were embracing uh, this movement, this Jesus movement, in Antioch. And so uh, the, the leaders of the church uh, got together and said, okay, let's send somebody out there and find out what's going on and, and make sure that they've got the right teaching. So they could send Barnabas out there. And uh, Barnabas, uh, and they said, when you, go, when you go, Barnabas, find Saul, who later became Paul, okay, uh, find, who's still called Saul in chapter 11 of Acts, find Saul and take him with you because they knew then that Saul was this tremendously gifted orator and teacher. He was already starting to write some of the epistles and they knew that he would help them stay on the straight and narrow in terms of what they believed. So uh, Barnabas and Saul, um, and by the way, where did Barnabas pick up Saul? Where did Saul live? Tarsus, okay, always the front row always knows. And, uh, and so uh, he picked up Paul and they went off to Antioch. And here's what we read in Acts chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, this is great, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Now, they didn't call themselves Christians, but the first time, this is probably in the 50s, maybe, you know, 20 years after Jesus said it, maybe even in the 60s, the first time that Christians were called at Antioch and that people from outside the church were calling this group that was molding in Antioch called them Christians. But it was, again, it was this derogatory term. So now this was corroborated by um, a non-Christian historian. His name was Tacitus, T-A-C-T-I-T-I-T-U-S, Tacitus, and he wrote this in sometime in the summer of 64 AD. Now, this is after Rome burned, and Nero was trying to figure out a way to blame the Christians. Uh, he called them Christians. I think I told you that a couple weeks ago. Blame the Christians. And this is what the historian Tacitus, a Roman that was also Greek-bred, a Roman Greek-bred, and uh, this is what Tacitus wrote. Consequently, to get rid of the report, the report that Nero had something to do with the fire, right? To get rid of the report, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. 
this group of people that were hated for their abominations. Do you know what their abominations were? Why they really were criticized? Cannibals. They were called cannibals. Because they had heard that these people gather in these groups and they partake of the body and blood of Christus. Okay? And so that got to be this rumor spread throughout Rome that these guys were really weirdos, you know. You know, instead of chicken blood, you know, they're real human blood and human flesh, the kind of thing that we know as symbolic as communion. So they were known as this weird group. And, um, and so we pick it up there. So Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate, and a most mischievous superstition. That's talking about this movement, right? This Jesus-following movement. Uh, a most mischievous superstition, thus checked for the moment, again broke out not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome, where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world find their center and become popular. Rome always ends up with the nut jobs, right? You know, we'd say today that'd be like San Francisco, right? You know, always end up with the nut jobs. That, that was Rome. Accordingly, an arrest was first made of all who pleaded guilty. Then upon their information, an immense multitude was convicted, not so much of the crime of firing the city as of hatred against mankind. Again, they were cons- uh, considered to be these like cannibals, you know, that eating flesh and, and blood and all of that. So Christians were seen by the world as this group of real weird people, but yet what they couldn't understand is why this movement kept growing and growing and growing and growing. Hundreds and then thousands and then tens of thousands, then hundreds of thousands. Nero himself was responsible for killing over 100,000 Christians. And this just kept moving and moving and moving. And they would spit out this name Christian. And it was such a negative thing. It was a terrible thing. But here's the deal. The believers, the Christ followers, did not call themselves Christians. They used a different phrase, a different word. And it's a word that's both at the same time terrifying and convicting. And the reason that the word Christian is so misunderstood today is that it can mean anything you want it to mean. I mean, again, you could ask 100 people if you go out to lunch today and you get 100 different answers as to what a Christian is. Because that word was not defined in the New Testament. But there was one word that was very defined. There's a term in the Gospels and in the New Testament Jesus used it often, and so did Paul and John and Peter and the others, very consistently to describe these people. This Jesus movement, this people of the way, and that word was what? Disciple. Disciple. Over and over and over again, the word was disciple. Now, that's a very narrow, very specific meaning. A disciple of what? Very clear a disciple of Jesus Christ. You mean the man that was crucified and is dead? Yeah, but he's alive now and he's sitting at the right hand of his father. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now the reason that this is so disturbing and this phrase should disturb you and terrifying is that it is so clearly defined. You can hide behind the term Christianity all day long. I mean, we had the crusades in the name of Christianity. We have politics in the name of Christianity. We have all kinds of things. But if you want to be very specific, you lock into this word disciple and you look in the New Testament and you say, oh my word, is that me? Is that really what I am? 
It's a lot safer to just be a Christian because I can get away with anything, right? But a disciple? Is that what I am? Let me give you a few examples. In Acts 11, the disciples were first called Christians as followers of Jesus. So here's the word disciple. It comes from the Greek word methotos. And that means a learner, a pupil, an apprentice, a protege, a follower. A disciple would ask certain questions of the one they are following, of Jesus in this case. So, uh, Jesus, I've got a situation in my life, and I'm not sure how to handle it. So, how do you think I should handle this? You're not being informed by the culture. You're not being informed by politics. You're not even being informed by your education necessarily. But as a disciple, this very narrow definition, you're saying, Jesus, in this situation, how should I respond? And then you listen for his answer. By the way, the answers are in here. Well, Jesus, what would you do if you were me when somebody really hurt me? And they hurt me badly. Maybe they hurt me as a child or as a teenager, or they hurt me. What would you do in that circumstance? Again, you're not going by your feelings necessarily. You're not going by uh, the society, what they are telling you, or you're not going by what other people are suggesting. You say, Jesus, I want to know what you think I should do because I'm a disciple of Jesus. What do you think I should do? Well, Jesus, where are you going? Because where you're going, that's where I'm going. And in Jesus' day, he was going to the pubs and the bars and he's going to where prostitutes were and tax collectors and hanging out and making a difference. Jesus, where are you going? Because, because that's where I'm going to go. And Jesus, let me ask you another thing. How do you react in this particular situation? Uh, again, a culture is not going to intimidate me. Politics is not going to inform me. But how do you react in this certain situation? How, how do I live my life? How do I manage relationships? How do I deal with sexuality? How do I deal with my money? How do I deal with Jesus? How do I deal with all of things? You're asking him for responses. You're asking him because I'm a follower of Jesus. That's what I'm going to do. And so even as you're asking these questions, and this, you've got to hear this, please. Even as you're asking these questions, before Jesus gives you an answer, you say, now Jesus... Uh, how do I live life? How do I do this? How do I think about that? Before any of that, before he even answers you, here's what you say. My answer is yes. Whatever you tell me is the right response. Whatever you tell me is the right thing to do or think or believe or say. My answer is yes. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm not just a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a disciple. My answer is yes, yes, yes. The hard thing is usually the right thing. The right thing is usually the hard thing. Jesus, whatever you're asking of me, my answer is yes. Now that's a disciple, and that's terrifying. That's not easy. Easy to be a Christian. Just believe in God. Easy to be a Christian. Just be raised in the United States. Easy to be a Christian. Just go to church once in a while. It's easy. But a disciple? Acts 6.1, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing. Acts 14. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. In Joppa, Acts chapter 9, there was a disciple named Tabitha who was always doing good and helping the poor. Now she was not described as a disciple at because she was a girl. She was a disciple. 
you got to remember that, and you know this, you're part of an evangelical covenant church. We value women in ministry just like we value men in ministry. There, she's, you can't believe the number of disciples that Paul describes in his letters. If you think that you, ladies, if you think you were freed up in 1973 by the women's liberation movement, you're dead wrong. You're freed up by Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. He said, there's no Greek or Jew. There's no slave or free. There's no man or woman. We're all one in Christ Jesus. That's who you are. You're not a disciple. You're a disciple. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. Which brings us to this really terrifying, disturbing question. Are we disciples? And more personally, more intimately, you have to ask this question, am I a disciple? Or are we just Christians? Just going to hang out, be cool, live our middle class lives, you know, get along, try to get through summer so we can get to October somehow. You know, I mean, just kind of hang out. Are you a Christian or disciple? Are you a follower of Jesus? If so, you're asking Jesus, how should I think, feel, respond, believe in this situation? And before he even gives you the answer, you're saying, my answer is yes. I know sometimes it'll be uncomfortable. I know sometimes it'll be hard. I know sometimes I'm not going to want to do it. But my answer is yes, because I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. So to close in on this subject, I want to take a look at a passage of Scripture and kind of press into this a little bit more. There's a moment in time when Jesus was speaking to his, to his disciples, and you find it in John 13, and uh, he was going to give them marching orders. Okay, this is, this is what I'm going to... You guys are going to... I'm going to be gone here in a, sh- a short while. And uh, Peter said, you're going to be gone? Where, where are you going? Uh, I mean, is Andrew going? Because if he is, I want to go too. No, he said, Peter, cool it, you know. I'm going to be going, and you're going to be left here. And when you're left here, I want you to know what you're supposed to be doing. I want you to know who you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to be about. Okay, so that's what, that was that John 13. So that's the Last Supper, Monday, Thursday. Uh, you know, that's when Judas, you know, dips bread and, and Jesus said, okay, one of you, and he's gone and he's out of there. And, and so there's the 11 disciples left with Jesus. And he says, uh, lean in here, boys. I, I've got something to tell you. You need to know something uh, that's going to change your lives because I'm going to tell you what I'm calling you to do and be. And when I tell you what to do and be, that's exactly what I'm expecting. I'm not expecting you to try and figure it out on your own. I'm not expecting you to try and understand it on your own, but I'm going to tell you clearly and distinctly what I want you to do. Now, if history had have gotten this one point right, this one element of teaching that we missed so, I mean, we've missed for 1,700 years, to be a Christian, to be a disciple rather than a Christian, I think it would have changed everything in history if we had done this the right way from the beginning, like Jesus wanted us to. I, I don't think there would have been a World War I or a World War II. I don't think there would have been a civil war. I, I, I think slavery would have been unthinkable. I think Columbine and all of the school shootings that we've, we've, we've been terrified through over the last 30 years, it, it just wouldn't, wouldn't have happened. If we had gotten this one teaching right and pressed into this and lived the way that Jesus wanted us to live... So here's the setting. Jesus walks into the upper room. None of the disciples were humble enough to wash each other's feet, so Jesus did it. You know, that must have been embarrassing right there, right? 
uh-oh, Jesus is washing our feet. We should have done that. Nuts. We missed a chance to actually show him we're good. And, and so he's washing their feet. Peter says, don't do mine, you know, the whole deal. Judas leaves. By the way, Jesus washed his feet too before he left. Judas leaves. Jesus is there with the other 11. He says, boys, press in here. Lean in here. I, I, I need you to know something. I'm going to give you a, a new commandment. They're thinking, what's wrong with the old ones, man? The 10 and then the 600, you know, what, what, what's wrong with all those? Oh, those, nothing wrong with the commandments. The only problem with the commandments is we don't keep them. And he said, but I'm going to give you a new commandment, a commandment that's kind of above everything else, a commandment that everything else flows from. You don't start with your theology and then do this. You start with this and then do your theology underneath this. He says, let me tell you what, lean in, boys, please, you've got to hear this. Lean in. I want you to hear this. John 13, 34, and 35. A new command I give you. Love one another. Listen, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, this isn't peace and love of the 1960s. This isn't, let's just everybody get along. You know, all religions are okay. This isn't any of this. This is life-altering, a life-transforming teaching. He doesn't say, just love each other, does he? He defines how he wants us to love each other. How is that? I want you to love each other, listen, in the same way that I have loved you. In the exact same way that I have loved you. And how have I loved you? Well, I went to the cross and died for your sins. I graced you. I loved you. I forgave you. I took the, the woman taken in adultery and I gave her both truth and grace. And, uh, you know, where are your accusers? I don't know. Neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. I, I, Jesus said, I want you to love each other the way I have loved you. And if you love each other the way I have loved you, the world will change. Because the world is tired of hearing from Christians about love and not seeing it. They're tired of hearing all the baloney that we talk about and it's watching us fight with each other over politics and things that don't matter. That's little kingdom stuff. The world is tired of that. That's why they see us and they say, we're not buying what you're selling. That's why we've got to get back to the basics of this John 13 passage. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Not that you might love one another or maybe think about it, but if you're a disciple, the first thing you say is yes. Yes. Whatever you tell me, Jesus, that's exactly what I'm going to do. It's not an option to love each other. It's not an option to say, well, I kind of like you. The only choice is to love as Jesus loved you. So Jesus gave some examples. Look at Matthew. Matthew, Levi, the tax collector, hated, traitor to his people, to the Jewish people. Uh, Tax collectors were hated because they got extra money from their people, the Jewish people gave to Rome, but they pocketed a good deal as well. So these were hated people. And one day Jesus said to his disciples, we're going to go over and visit Levi, Matthew, the tax collector. He said, we're not going. My, my mom and dad told me I'm not supposed to hang out with people like that. I'm not going, I'm not going to that house. Jesus said, you're coming with me. We're going to go, and guess what? We're going to go and love this guy. Really? We're going to invite him to be one of us. Really? <laughs> that guy? See, Matthew? See how I loved Matthew? 
uh, Nathaniel. Nathaniel said, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Remember how I loved you, Nathaniel? When you didn't love me, when you thought I was nothing, remember how I loved you? Peter? Come on, Peter. How many times have I had to forgive you? How many times have I had to you know, get you off of a, a, you know, a roof with a gun? How many times have I had to... Peter, have you seen how I have loved you? I know all of you are Christians. That's easy. But are you really disciples? Listen, the litmus test, the bottom line is not church attendance. It's not whether you're baptized or how much money you give. It's whether or not you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, whether or not you love each other the way Jesus loved you. Peter, Peter's always trying to be the good guy. And Peter said, well, don't wash my feet. And no, I, I want to go with you where you're going. Peter, I don't want you to die. And I don't want you to come with me. I want you to do something much harder. I want you to stay behind. And I want you to not only love these other 10 men here, but there's going to be a lot of other followers. And then I'm going to teach you how to love a world that is lost and broken, that, that really doesn't care anything about me. I'm going to teach you how to love them the way I have loved them because I died for them on the cross. I'm going to teach you how to love each other. I'm going to teach you how to love the world. See, Jesus wanted to create a community of people that was defined by this unconditional, generous, uncompromising, ridiculous, who would do that kind of love? The world hasn't seen much of that from the church, unfortunately at least not in the last 1,700 years. But that can always change. It can always change with one small church in Oro Valley, a church that decides to be disciples, not just Christians, a church that says, I'm, I, I'm going to, I'm, yes. Jesus, whatever you ask of me, the answer is yes. And I'm going to not only say yes, I am going to love these people around me, even though they're flawed. I'm going to love them the way that you love me. And I'm going to love the world out there that's lost and broken in a way that they're going to say, why? Why are you loving me? You see, this one little church at Grace, I, I, I want the world to come in and kind of peek over the edge. They, some, of the, some of them did that at VBS. You peek over the edge and you say, now, I'm not sure about this Jesus thing. I'm, not sh- I'm certainly not sure about Christianity and I'm, I'm not sure about this church thing. But when I see the way these men love their wives and the way, I, the way I see these women respect their husbands and the way I see these, these children act with each other and act in this church when I see them love each other I want a part of that I don't want to be one but I want to hire one right I want my son to marry one right because there is something compelling about a group of people that love each other the way that Jesus has loved them. Look at how they love one another. If we get this one thing right, forget Christianity. Just think about what it means to be a disciple. Imagine how the world would change. Imagine. The world starts seeing Christ followers as those who say yes to Jesus and love each other in such a profound way that they say, I want part of that. Instead of being repelled by the church, leaning over the edge and saying, I want to be part of that because I've never seen a group of people 
love each other the way they do. I've never seen a group of people love the Goshen church the way these people do. I've never seen a a, a church love those hundred plus children at VBS the way that those people do. That's what it's called. That's what it means to be a disciple. Followers of Jesus, each one, I want to give you a challenge. Maybe just for one week. Here's the challenge. In your families, in your jobs, in your church, and in your schools, I want you to do one thing and one thing only. Love other people the way Jesus has loved you. Yeah, but they treated me so bad. Remember what we said before? Jesus said, okay, how would I treat them? You love them. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ didn't wait until we were good to be saved. He died for us while we were yet sinners. We need to love each other like that. So my challenge for each and every one of you in your families, in your church, in your jobs, in your schools, to love every person you come in contact with the way Jesus has loved you. And if you do that for one week, you can change your world. I guarantee it. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, um, this is, in many ways, this is a really hard sermon to preach because uh, we're kind of, I'm kind of preaching it myself. And, and I, I'm praying something here for this church that I desire for myself, and that is that I will no longer be just a Christian, but I will be a, a fully devoted follower of Jesus a disciple that says yes to every request, every heart calling, every desire that you have for my life, I will say yes. And Lord, I know what it means to be a disciple. It means to love these people and all of the people in my life and all of the people outside of the faith to love them in such a way that they would know that I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. To love them as you have loved me. Father, that's my prayer for each and every one of us. And this morning, Lord, as we celebrate that divine act that you did to show your incredible love for us, that which we call Holy Communion, Lord, I invite each and every one of us into this place of worship, into this place of when that wafer and that juice touches our tongue, that's a way of saying once again, yes, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. That's my prayer. And I pray that you would bless us each one to that end in Jesus' name. Amen.